Steven Gerrard never won the Premier League title, but his heroics in Istanbul as Liverpool defied the odds and defied Milan to lift the Champions League trophy etched his name into the club's history. He was a leader then, he's a leader now. But can he turn Aston Villa's fortunes around? And can his predecessor, Dean Smith, drag beleaguered Norwich out of the mire? Oh, and Eddie Howe's back in the Premier League as well. I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. back in England, but Marky Mark never went away. Mark O'Hare is poised like a coiled spring after the international break, ready to give us the best bets. Mark, uh, thoughts on Stephen Gerrard to Aston Villa and also your thoughts on Dean Smith to Norwich. A couple of interesting moves there. Yeah, they were interesting. Um, I think when Aston Villa um, dispatched with Dean Smith, I wondered who was going to be sort of in Villa's uh, mindset of who, who, could, who could come in and fill that void because they are kind of in this period or, or area now where they're probably just outside the top six uh, but probably too good to, to go down they'll feel after the investment that they've made and the progress that they've made since coming back into the Premier League and there's not a huge amount of candidates on the on the market really so um, I think Gerard's a really interesting appointment what he did at Rangers um, was quite remarkable really in turning that ship around uh, denying Celtic the 10 in a row with a, an unbelievable season last year um, he's brought key members of his backroom staff with him um, most people are saying that a lot of those key backroom staff actually masterminded most of the good work, but I think that's probably doing a disservice to Gerard himself, um, who quickly identified with Rangers that they needed to tighten up at the back defensively. Um, the season before he arrived, they conceded 50 goals in the Premiership, and in his first campaign, it was almost half to 27. And then in that uh, record-breaking season, they, they conceded just 13 goals. So clearly, um, he'll be going in there with a priority to sort of stiffen up that defence, which has been leaking goals a bit too easily. Uh, I know Dean Smith chopped and changed in terms of tactics and, and formation to try and get a tune out of his players, but also he's he's going to have to try and get a, a tune out of those players who, who they signed in the summer. Um, some really quite exciting signings, but the fact that uh, all three of them, um, Bailey, Ings and uh, Buendia, have barely basically played together as a, as a trio so far. So uh, a lot of work to do, but uh, I think the, the potential there for Villa to progress is, is quite strong. So I'm um, hopeful to see how he gets on. Dean Smith, um, I'm interested by. Um, I wanted Norwich to go for Bodo Glimp's coach, um, Knutson, who had been linked and there was talk that that might happen. Um, I thought that would be a really quite exciting signing. Um, I'm not sure on Smith, to be honest. I know he's done some really good work with Walsall and carried it on with with uh, Brentford and then Aston Villa as well. But it's a big, big task to, to turn that Norwich ship around at the moment. Uh, we'll probably talk about the game against Southampton because I'm not going to say they're doomed. That's, that's far from the case at all. But uh, the performances so far this season have been poor, uh, as have the results. And I think there's not so many um, tools to work with compared to what he had with Aston Villa. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was quite surprised they went for him, to be honest. I thought uh, they might have their, their eyes set further afield with some sort of quirky um, new coach like they did with Daniel Farker back in the day. So, um, yeah, I think the jury's out on Smith, but I think Gerald will be a success. If you have a Marky Mark, you have to have a funky bunch. There's a reference for the teenagers. Uh, and uh, one of the bunch is odds compiler and betting expert Mark Stinchcomb. Uh, Stinch, I want to talk to you about Eddie Howe because uh, he's taken over uh, what he says is a very exciting role at Newcastle. You can understand why he'd be excited. Uh, back in the Premier League after uh, a sh relatively short absence, I guess. Um, we know him for the work he did at Bournemouth, which was absolutely terrific. 
can he translate those skills into what is, in a way, a completely different job? Yeah, I think it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because from from my mind, we know Eddie Howe is somebody that wants to play nice football. And I'm not sure the tools are there at the moment <clears throat> uh, at Newcastle to do that. I mean, obviously, Sam Maximam and, and Callum Wilson, um, probably their two standout players offensively. Uh, Miguel Almiron as well as good. He'll obviously know Ryan Fraser and, uh, and Callum Wilson from his Bournemouth days. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Like the, the sort of the def- the defense has been a very rigid five or four for a very long time, and I'm not sure they'd be accustomed to be able to like receiving the ball from the goalkeeper. I'm not sure whether the likes of Dubravko or Kyle Darlow are comfortable with playing the ball at their feet. And I know they've obviously got unlimited amounts of money, basically, but. Can, can, could could they be able to fix that instantly in January? And even before we get to January, you know, there's a good six or seven games to get to get over uh, first, and they're still yet to win a game this season. So um, I know I know obviously the crowd are going to be behind them. I think I think they're just so happy that they obviously got rid of Mike Ashley and Steve Bruce. So for them, anybody would would have been a positive. But in terms of Eddie Howe long term was a little bit concerned with how things sort of went downhill um, at Bournemouth. And I don't think it was something that happened quickly. It felt like it was over a prolonged period of time. Um, And they did spend a lot of money. I don't know if it was all his signings. I don't know if he signed them off or or it was more from a sporting director or it was a combination of the two. But they did spend an awful lot of money on on players that didn't really seem to go that well. Um, Jefferson Lerma. Uh, Dominic Solanke. I know Solanke's now scoring goals in the championship, but perhaps was overpriced at the time. Um, they, I remember they, they bought Jordan Ibe and but for 15 million, he ended up leaving on a free transfer. Um, there was a couple of others here and there. So I'm not sure if he if he's the man if he's given the the go ahead to spend to spend the money. But as far as I'm aware, they still haven't appointed a sporting director. Um, but we did discuss last time that we felt they needed somebody like that. So it would definitely yeah. be interesting to see if they go down that route. But as I mentioned before, there's not a lot of cannon fodder in the Premier League this season. So I still think it's going to be a difficult season for Newcastle. But having said that, and I said it before don't see it as it necessarily being a bad thing if they do go down because the championship is quite a poor league. So I would expect them to bounce back up as they've already done a couple of times over the last decade. And maybe in terms of a long-term rebuild, that is better for them because they'll be able to to get rid of the deadwood essentially because it's obvious from, from the performances that they've, they've put on the pitch during this Premier League campaign. Yeah, they've been struggling for a while. Finally, our terrific tipping trio is completed by the data doctor, Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal. Jake, I know you want to take a look at Steven Gerrard's first game in charge with Aston Villa, and that's against Brighton this weekend. Yeah, I mean, Mark's sort of laid the groundwork quite well in the fact that Villa really struggling defensively under Dean Smith and Steven Gerrard with his track record at Rangers should be a, a sort of a perfect tonic straight away to tighten things up. And I think when a new manager comes in, one of the easiest and quickest wins is to make them more difficult to beat because it's really easy to organise a defensive shape compared to organising an, an attacking sort of system and flair that, that almost has to be worked on day in and day out and uh, I think we'll see that with, with Gerard. I think we'll see that with, with Conte obviously 0-0 draw in, in his first Premier League game for Spurs I think that's the first port of call really and when you look at the figures it's not a surprise that that's something that is required because from 
January the 1st last season up until the end of last season which was 25 games Villa defensively allowed 1.65 expected goals against per game and only West Brom were worse defensively than Villa in that time period and and that sort of level has just continued into this season you know we've seen them concede a lot of goals um, but defensively according to the XG it stayed at exactly the same rate at 1.65 so it's not a surprise that, that they've sort of taken a downturn and when you factor in the loss of Jack Grealish Obviously, bringing in the, the players that we, we've mentioned, Buendia, Ings, uh, Bailey, they've not really got it going. And, and it's always quite difficult to replace one player with three because you can't play 13 players on a team, <laughs> ultimately. And, and that's the struggle. So it's Yeah, you know, it's, I think it's illegal. But um, yeah, ultimately, that that's hindered them going forward. And, and their attacking process has, has taken a real nosedive because of that. Undoubtedly, Gerald's got a lot of talent there to work with, but I think his first his first port of call is going to be making them more difficult to beat. And I think he's got the tools there to be able to do that and uh, shore things up straight away before looking to build on that attacking patterns. Um, Brighton, are, obviously, they're a team that we really liked on this podcast last season from a data perspective. This season, they're not really picked up where they left off. They've sort of stagnated, got a slightly worse base on the underlying figures. Um, seventh in the table is a little bit flattering to them. Um, but what we can say about Brighton is that they are one of the better defensive teams in the league and they have been for a while now. Uh, I think around 1.26 expected goals against per game is what they're allowing this season. That ranks as the fourth best in the Premier League. And they'll continue to, to do that because the way in which they play allows them to limit their opponents very, very well. So for me in this game... <clears throat> Factoring in the the incoming manager, uh, the fact that Villa will need to tighten things up or they will continue to lose matches. Brighton's defence is looking solid, but going forward, they've not looked as potent as they did last season. They're not creating as many good chances. Uh, Under 2.5 goals stood out to me as as a reasonably good bet at around 1.87 on the exchange. Now, Dean Smith's first game as Norwich boss is against Southampton, who beat Smith's Villa 1-0 in the last round of matches. Mark O'Hare, does that make any difference whatsoever? I know Dean Smith has been asked about this, and he said, obviously, he's seen them very recently, but it's a totally different scenario, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, as you say, he'll, he'll have seen them firsthand, but a lot of managers do see these teams firsthand when they get the opportunity to do anyhow. But, uh, yeah, I mean... The, the sacking of Farker did feel a bit premeditated uh, considering the timing so soon after the Brentford win. Um, are clearly, Norwich are trying to break the cycle of being a yo-yo club, but um, whether they've got the, the best opportunity to survive by appointing Smith in the November international break or, or making a change before the season, who knows really. But um, they are, you know, it's only five points adrift with 27 games to go, so they're not out of the equation. But the issue is they've been performing like the worst team in the league pretty much throughout throughout the campaign. We know they had a difficult start and a difficult schedule, but they are bottom for expected points, expected goals ratio, XG from open play, big chances, pretty much everything really. And they've only scored two goals from open play all season. Two of their five goals have been penalties. And and I know uh, Stinch has talked about the loss of Emi Buendia quite quite a lot. And um, it's clear that his impact is being missed in in their output as well. But the big debate now is whether um, Dean Smith can incorporate Billy Gilmore into that team because he's been earning rave reviews quite consistently now for Scotland, but has barely made an impact at all on with Norwich. So really interested to see how uh, Smith sets his team up this weekend. He'll know Southampton pretty well from that match and um, already have the scouting reports in, in his back pocket. So, um, But this is a, a tough ask, I think. Um, Saints have been one of the big improvers, gone quite under the radar, I think, since uh, August, really, when I and I'm sure a few other people were kind of 
beginning to seriously worry about their prospects this this season following the, the sale of Danny Ings. And you have to credit Ralph Hasenhutl again and again, really, because they've only lost twice since the opening day. Um, most impressively for me, really, defensively, they've conceded nine goals in those 10 games. And they've had to play uh, Chelsea, Man City, Man United and West Ham in that sequence. Uh, if you look at the underlying data, they've really improved and pretty much thrived defensively now for quite some time. Um, they're not really kind of known to be a kind of rigid, defensively strong team under Hausen Huttle, but clearly he's changed focus there. And you know, they've churned out three 1-0 wins in the last four games. They've kept shutouts in five of the last eight. So I'm quite keen to get them on side at, at Carrow Road. Um, Norwich have lost the, the non-penalty expected goals battle and the shots in the box battle in 10 of their 11 Premier League games. So, you know, you're asking Smith to sort of change fortunes quite dramatically, really, to, to turn that around. And I think Saints are just, they just know what they're about at the moment. They know what they're capable of and they've got players in forward areas who wouldn't say are a bang in form, but they're certainly finding their range as well. So I thought Southampton to win at odds against was reasonable enough, but you can chuck in under three and a half goals and boost the price. It's almost 2.7, uh, which really does appeal considering how Southampton have been playing so far this season very assured defensively and just doing enough in the final third to grind out results and I think they'll they'll win this match quite narrowly but uh, get the three points regardless it's really interesting the point you make about Hasenhutl and how he's been able to change Southampton because if you go back to his time in Germany he was able to turn out two totally different teams. So when he was at Ingolstadt, when he had no really good attacking players, he made them into the most brutal outfit you can imagine, tackling, snarling, biting, you name it. And then when he had a much better class of player at Leipzig, they were the, one of the most thrilling attacking teams in the league for, for quite a, a prolonged period of time. So it shows how good a coach he is, I think, that he can change between that defensive mindset and indeed a more attacking one. Uh, Jake, how do you see this one very similar to Mark um, you know he's, he's said everything that I was going to say in terms of Southampton's defensive improvement they've been excellent um, you know over the course of the season barring that first game and obviously we're looking at the most recent four matches in which they're unbeaten um, against teams that are better than Norwich it has to be said when it comes to attacking numbers they're allowed just 0.74 expected goals against per game which is a really really good sign moving forward um, and yeah as for Norwich I mean Dean Smith's got a really big job on his hands because not only do they prop up the table, but they prop up every single major performance metric. So expected goals for per game, they're the worst team. Expected goals against per game, they're the worst team. Non-penalty big chances created, they're the joint worst team. Non-penalty big chances conceded, they're the worst team. So there's everything's going against them, really. So it's going well. <laughs> well, you, you, can, you can see why Daniel Farker got sacked. You know, not only were the results poor, but the actual performances were just... You know, it, it looked like they were just being uncompetitive when it comes to, to the Premier League level. And they'll be hoping Dean Smith can kick that on. But when we look at what Dean Smith did with Aston Villa and the way he took them from a really good first half of the season last season to where they are now, that has to be a bit of a concern for Norwich moving forward as an appointment because their defensive process was really good at the first half last season then it got considerably worse their attacking figures were really good at the first half last season that got considerably worse so um, he's, he's now working with almost lesser players if you like players that are the calibre of some of the players that are at Aston Villa so it'd be really interesting to see how he deals with that and whether he can actually get a tune out of them uh, I suspect not I think with Southampton's improvement defensively and just in general and, and Norwich's real issues going forward I was looking at Southampton to keep a clean sheet, which is around the nine to five mark on the on the Betfair Sportsbook. It's a slightly different angle to what Mark's putting forward in terms of a, a low scoring Southampton win. But you know the way in which Norwich have attacked all season long, the way in which Aston Villa attacked under Dean Smith over the last 10, 11 games this season, 
that would not surprise me if Southampton go to Norwich and, and keep things tight. Nick a one nil, two nil, and, and it, you know a slightly bigger price of nine to five. I know we don't get the the two one Southampton win on side like Marks does, but clean sheet Southampton in the way the, which they've been going looks really good. Now, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet. So Betfair's offering no cash-out suspensions on match odds, over-under and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. The lunchtime kickoff on Saturday, a fascinating one between Leicester and the Premier League leaders, Chelsea. The West London side, 1.83 to take three points. Leicester, uh, a touch above four to one. Mark O'Hare, Chelsea 4.1 at the moment to win the title with Manchester City, the odds on favourites at 1.76. Are those prices in line with what you'd expect, given what you've seen so far? Um, yes, um, I know the gap isn't huge, but Man City's top performance has been, well, they've done it twice now, haven't they? They've been the best team in the league in terms of the, the top level performance levels that we've seen from from all teams, really. Uh, Chelsea started the season superbly, the game at Anfield particularly standing out. But I think if, if all teams play to their full potential, City are the best team in the league. However, you can't really discount Chelsea from the, the equation, which we haven't from the very, very, very get-go, really. Um, and I don't feel for them because they're Chelsea, obviously, but uh, they, were, they were very, very frustrated and very bitter about that 1-1 draw with Burnley before the international break. And, you know, I made a big song and dance about Chelsea to win to nil going into that game being a, a cracking bet. And I still would stand by that selection tomorrow. But the fact that they had 18 shots in the box and came away with just one point, yeah, you can understand the frustration because it would have pushed them a little bit further um, towards the top end of the table. Now, they're probably going to have either Lukaku and or Timo Werner back this weekend we haven't heard the, the press conferences yet to know who's actually fit and available but um, that goal they conceded at Stamford Bridge was only the second non-penalty goal they have conceded in the Premier League this season and um, both of the two goals they have conceded that weren't penalties have both arrived at Stamford Bridge so they're actually yet to concede a non-penalty goal on the road in the Premier League and we're in mid-November which is quite remarkable really but um, I think coming into this game at the KP my angle in is just as much anti-Leicester as it is pro-Chelsea um, because Leicester haven't hit the heights of last season or the campaign before. Four wins from 11. Um, I've got them ranked in the bottom six in terms of expected points. Um, they've lost the non-penalty expected goals battle in eight Premier League games already and they've been outshot in seven of those matches as well. Um, Stinch has talked consistently about their poor defensive record this season. Two clean sheets in 17 across all competitions. One of those was Millwall in the Cup. The other was Wolves on the opening day when they were distinctly second best and burgled a win. Uh, and if you look in the Premier League, going back over the last 26 league games, just three clean sheets and two of those were against relegated clubs. So I don't hold out much hope of them keeping Chelsea out. Um, Chelsea are convert, uh, converting at a high rate this season. They are creating plenty of opportunities too. We know the quality that they possess in forward areas. So I don't want to complicate it too much. Going back to the sort of podcast staple really of Chelsea to win and under three and a half goals, because regardless of the negativity towards Leicester, they do have the ability in forward areas to hurt any defence. There are That is where their quality is at at the moment. So uh, they'd be foolish to kind of sit back and, and try and allow Chelsea to to, uh, to sort of play their way into the game. So, But uh, I just think the, the, the staple of under three and a half goals alongside Chelsea is almost just routine, really, of what Chelsea do. They just churn out win after win, and they're almost always by the same scorelines of 1-0, 2-0, 3-0 or 2-1. Uh, I know they beat Malmo 4-0 and Norwich 7-0 not so long ago, but uh, Leicester aren't Malmo or Norwich. So expecting a away win, uh, it just boosts the price from an odds-on shot onto a nice odds against Angle, which uh, I think appeals to me. 
Leicester fans relieved to find out that they won't wake up tomorrow and find themselves in Malmo. Uh, Jake, this is a really interesting one, isn't it? Because I'm with Mark here. Chelsea seem like a much stronger team, but we thought that ahead of the FA Cup final. Leicester do sometimes raise their game against the big hitters. We saw them play really well against Manchester United. To the same token as Leicester aren't Malmo, Chelsea aren't Manchester United. They're much better, <laughs> um, and you know that all that ultimately comes down to a defensive structure in which they're very difficult to beat, very difficult to break down. But also, the way in which they attack is just so much better than what Manchester United do. It's so much more formulated. It's much more consistent, um, and it's actually got better as the seasons progressed. They had had a few question marks about their attack through the first five, six games of the season in terms of the, the way in which they were creating chances and scoring the goals was unsustainable. But we've now reached a point where they're creating more chances more regularly and still scoring at the same rate. So they're getting to what I would suggest is serious title contending peaks in terms of their XG process. So, you know, I think the, the reason, going back to what you said at the very start in terms of the overall title price, I think the reason City are a little bit maybe short compared to what you might expect is because the City's actually had tougher matches so far this season. I think they've played all of the big teams away from home. So they've already played at Chelsea, at Liverpool, at Manchester United, at Spurs, if that is classed as a tough game. Um, So, you know, that's factored into those prices in that regard that when the season carries on, then City have got all those teams to play at home compared to Chelsea. But when it comes to this game, I mean, you look at Leicester, Mark, you know, described it very well. They've been really, really poor so far this season. Um, the XG process suggests that they're conceding more chances than what they're creating and, and defensive they're looking really really gettable and, and part of the problem is actually Kasper Schmeichel because when we dive into the post shot expected goals which takes into account on target shots faced by the goalkeeper all the metrics from a goalkeeper's perspective so placement power swerve dip etc Schmeichel ranks as the worst goalkeeper in the Premier League this season so he's allowed four goals more than would be expected based on the on-target shots that he's faced so that's a major issue for Leicester moving forward that one of their key players almost is, is just not performing to the level we, we've expected from him uh, or we've seen from him and then just you know Jason's not here is he so a quick quiz question who do you think is the goalkeeper that's overperformed their post shot XG by the most this season oh Mendy by miles, I would yeah, say. Yeah, look at you, straight in there, Edu Mendy. <laughs> yeah, he's he's saved Chelsea around two and a half goals um, based on the on-target shots he's faced. So in one net, you've got a goalkeeper who is letting in more than what he would be expected to. In the other net, you've got a goalkeeper that's saving more than would be expected. Um, and all in all, as I've said, Chelsea's attacks improved. The last five matches, they've averaged two and a half expected goals for per game, which is levels we'd see from City and Liverpool consistently. I know what Mark's thinking in terms of a low-scoring Chelsea win. I think that the Chelsea price itself at 1.83, just to win the match, is big enough for me to take. I would have them close to 1.75. So at that price, I'm happy to just back Chelsea win, even though it is a, a little bit shorter than, than what Mark's putting up. To the West Midlands and Wolves are taking on an excellent West Ham side. They produced a very impressive win over Liverpool before the international break. The first team to beat Liverpool in any competition this season. West Ham 2.56 to take maximum points here with Wolves just above 2-1. to one. Stinch, where's the value here for you? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right with an impressive West Ham team. And based on that, I'm very surprised to see that over two and a half goals is uh, is chalked up as evens here. So unders is the eight to eleven favourite, and you know we know how good West Ham are going forward. 
but they also give you a chance at the back. So I'm very surprised to see that the odds aren't the other way around, essentially. Um, so yeah, I'm looking to, towards a goal, a goal-heavy game here. Um, West Ham's game's averaging 3.3 goals per game. Um, based on expected goals, that's at 3.2. Um, but the odds here suggest that we're just going to see only 2.5 goals per game. So big, big disparity as far as I'm concerned. Wolves have kept just two clean sheets in 11 under Bruno Larger. So I think that says to you, we will see that Wolves have improved going forward and they're already looking a more proactive team. So there's no surprise that they're giving the opposition a bit more of a chance at the back. West Ham, considering all the all the plaudits, they've only kept three clean sheets. And I think we know their strength lies in attack. So I think it's two teams where the, the strengths are, are in attack. Um, and long term, West Ham's games have been very goal heavy. Um, 23 of the last 32 have gone over 2.5. That's a 72% strike rate. Away from home, it's 19 of 28. So 68%. And, uh, you know, the odds here suggest it's, it's only a 50% chance. Um, all West Ham's attacking credentials are justified. So they're third for shots per game, fourth for shots on target, fourth for expected goals for. So in my mind, they're very deserved of uh, the league position that they're in and, and the plaudits that are being given to them. Um, and the Premier League averages 2.75 goals per game this season, which is a slight improvement on the 2.69 from last season. I don't want to speak too early because it's only 11 game weeks in, but I think that's probably got something to do with the fans. And uh, these two matches last season finished 3-2. This one here at Molyneux finished 3-2. West Ham raced into a, a very early 3-0 lead. And the one up to, sorry, the Olympic Stadiums out? No, sorry, the London Stadium. Sorry, <laughs> uh, West Ham won four 0 So, so two two matches uh, between these two that were the goal heavy. And um, yeah, I think both teams are attack are much better than the opposition's defence. But I'm going to be slightly prudent and go for over two point two five goals, around about one point eight three on the exchange. So, if there is only two goals in the match, I still get half my stake back. And I think long term uh, for games involving West Ham, I think that's the the correct plays. Always thinking about those sustainable edges is our stinch. Now, from November the 19th to the 25th, we are doubling our daily rewards. Stake £20 on multiples or bet builders over the course of a day. And after the bets have settled, you'll get a free £10 bet to use on multiples or bet builders. Bets must settle within 48 hours. No opt-in required and T's and C's apply. Time for a little focus on the Bundesliga because the guys have a fair few uh, Teutonic selections this week. Uh, Mark, we've been beating up on poor old Greuther Furt this season. They're on track to be the worst ever team in the Bundesliga era. And they visit Borussia Mönchengladbach this weekend. And I do fear for them because they're just not ready for this level, Mark. They weren't supposed to win promotion in the first place. They lost some key players in the summer. And here they are. Just one point, no wins. Yeah, it's the, it's the worst start in Bundesliga history, just one point from 11, conceding 29 goals. And I know you guys were, were quite keen on opposing them against Frankfurt before the international break and the way in which they lost that game. Um, pretty heartbreaking, really. I know they would have only taken a, a point from it, but even still, to lose in that manner, to make it nine successive defeats, um, you know, eight points from safety already, things are looking very, very bleak. And they're away from home against a Gladbach team who traditionally are very strong at Borussia Park. And so far this season, they're unbeaten at home they've turned over Dortmund they've held Bayern at the start of the season 
and they performed pretty well, but uh, also absolutely obliterated Bayern in the Pokal as well. So we just know that their top level is far and away much, much, much better than, than what Furt can offer at their very best. So um, Gladbach had a, a sticky start to the season, it must be said. It took time to sort of adjust to Adi Huta, but uh, recently performances have been a lot better. Three wins from six, just the one defeat, and really probably should have more points on the board during that six-game spell because they absolutely dominated Stuttgart here and uh, only came away with a 1-1 draw as well. So, yeah, I'm expecting it to be one-way traffic. It's going to be difficult for Furt to, to take anything from this game, particularly when you look at their away record this season. I know just one point from 11 is poor, but uh, six away games, six defeats, five defeats by two or more goals and five games in which they've conceded three or more goals as well. So, yeah, I think a very difficult task for them this weekend and I expect Gladbach to hack up pretty comfortably. So Gladbach minus one and a half at uh, 1.88 seems fair enough. Yeah, and the thing about Furt as well, Mark, is that it's not as if they've got some injury crisis. They've got loads of players out. This is it. This is this is the best that they have. Uh, and it, they're finding it to be uh, well short of the level required. Just to underline what Mark was talking about, by the way, in that game against Frankfurt, they managed to equalise for us against Frankfurt in stoppage time and still lost the game, conceded the winner in the 95th minute. It's also the Berlin Derby this weekend. Hertha making the short trip to Köpenick to take on Udion. We're expecting a big crowd for this one. Stinch Union generally very, very strong at home. I have to say, though, I thought 2.1 seemed a little short to me. Yeah, particularly given the fact that Hertha are unbeaten, I think, in the last three meetings between these sides and kind of handed out a, a bit of a beating in, in the two home games. I think it was 4-0 and 3-0 maybe. Yeah, yeah, they've been very good against them at the Olympia Stadion. Yeah. Yeah, but I think Hertha do maybe have a bit more of a softer underbelly than Union. I think you talked about at the beginning of the season that um, the sporting director, he was getting rid of the, the bad eggs, if you yeah. like, at Hertha. Yeah. And I think they're still going through that process. Um, I, I do think, yeah, I wouldn't be rushing to bat Union, even though they have got a fantastic home record, but a lot of those home games have ended up in draws. So it's not as if they're winning lots and lots of games. And obviously the derby factor with the crowd, you know, that might play a little bit something with the, with the match result. I was looking at the goals again here. Um, I mean, you look down you look down the coupon in the Bundesliga this week and over two and a half goals in, in various matches, a one to five, four to nine, four to 11, two to five, Four to nine, four to six, and four to six. Yet yeah, we're getting odds against twenty-three to twenty, and it it just it just stands out like a sore thumb, to be honest. Um, you know, we know the Bundesliga is a goal-heavy game. It's averaging over three goals per game this season, average over three last season. So my natural instinct in the Bundesliga is to look at backing over two point five goals. I mean, there's an argument that the the default line really should be two point seven five. Um, Union's games this season have seen 34 goals, so 3.09 per game, and Hertha's have seen 36, so 3.27. But the odds here suggest we're just going to see 2.45 goals. So again, a big, big disparity and something I'm happy to sort of take a chance on. Um, 11 of Union's last 17 have featured over 2.5 goals, that's 65%, and 11 of Hertha's last 16 have seen three or more, so 69%. And yet these are to suggesting you know less than 50% chance um, I'm really impressed with a one a one year this season fifth yeah, top goal brilliant. scorer in, in the league for Union he's already scored more than the last two seasons combined um, it just looks like a, a player that 
you know, no surprises maturing you know still a young a young player but I think with uh, Kruser in behind providing him the chances you know he's a he's a fantastic player at this kind of sort of mid-table Bundesliga level isn't he Kruser um, you know that steady head I'm sure he's given a one you plen- plenty of advice in terms of runs to make and, and things like that so I think he's in one I think he's in a really good place to continue to evolve his game further as long um, as he hasn't he, advised him about the off-field stuff then i think we're okay <laughs> i don't think i'd listen to max cruiser about general life advice but on the football field i think i'd take it <laughs> yeah i think we'll leave that one out of, of, uh, of <laughs> that's a different show entirely <laughs> um but it was nice to see uh Piotak get some few more minutes for poland as he, he works his way back to yeah. fitness because herta obviously with all those departures in the summer have been struggling somewhat going forward. Jovetic scored for them la- last time out, which I don't think is something that can be relied upon, but at least, you know, at least he is contributing. Your mate Camp, another goal for the Dutch under-21s. Love that guy. Yeah, I think Hell he's... Hell of a player. I think he's a bit of an, an, an unhidden gem, to be honest. I don't think her to realise what, what potentially they ha- the player they have on their hands there. So, yeah, having said all of that, again, similar as I, I've mentioned before, I'm going to be, again, a bit more pragmatic and go for the over 2.25 goals on, on the exchange. The odds should be around about 1.95. And, and again, the only way I'm going to lose a full stake is if there's only zero or one goals uh, between uh, hopefully what's going to be an entertaining derby on a Saturday night. And you've also got a pick from the game at the Schuko Arena between Armenia, Bielefeld and Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg have been ever so good since Florian Kofeld went in as coach. They've won all three games. They uh, were the, the better team against Augsburg, should have won uh, more comfortably, I think. Bielefeld are an awkward team though, Mark, but I think the thing is you've got Wolfsburg at evens. Given their form, I guess that's quite attractive, isn't it? Yeah, betting's all about price, isn't it, at the end of the day? In this match last season, Wolfsburg were 1.65 and they won 3-0. And in my mind, Armenia regressed offensively. With the, I mean, keep mentioning it time and time again, but the loss of Rizzo Duan for a team of, of that level with that budget is absolutely enormous. Um, yep, so I think it makes complete sense. I mean, last time we touched upon the fact uh, we backed uh, Frankfurt at a similar price to where um, Furt... I know we got lucky, um, but I would still say more often than not that they, Frankfurt would win that game at those odds. So in my, you know, it doesn't really matter how the outcome uh, happens as, as long as long term, the the price is above what you'd expect. And again, that's exactly what I think here. I know fans are back compared to last season, but I still think that one sixty five arguably could be the same based on the fact that yeah Armenia's offense has, has regressed even further I mean regular listeners will know we've been very profitable back in the unders in Armenia games for the bottom half sides and one of the reasons is because of their poor uh, offensive output the, the lowest scorers in the Bundesliga with just seven goals in 11 games and when you look at their their process essentially it's no surprise really that that's the level that they're at. They average the second worst possession in the Bundesliga, less than 40%. Yet they have the most shots from outside the box. So that just tells you everything you need to know that they don't when they don't get the ball, but when they do have the ball, they don't know what to do with it. And they're yeah. just taking pot shots. Um, so it's no, it's no surprise that they're bottom for expected goals for. So in my mind, it's just, this game is essentially, can the fourth best team in the Bundesliga, as they are in the league, as they finished last season, Okay, you can argue that a bit further. They could be the fifth or sixth best, but you know they are a top top seven team, yeah, shall we say? Absolutely. At the odds, 
uh, I think the question is, can they break Armenia down? And I think there's there's definitely enough in this Wolfsburg team to suggest at those odds they can break them down. I mean, Armenia have the seventh best defence in terms of uh, goals conceded, but they actually have the second worst expected goals again. So arguably they could have conceded an awful lot more goals. Got a great goalkeeper. I think that explains a lot of that. Yeah, definitely 100%. I mean, I don't have the stats to hand, but I'm sure Jake could probably tell us a bit more about Ortega's uh, post-shots expected goals record. Um, But yeah, I mean, they concede the second most shots. It's no surprise to see that a lot of those are are decent chances. And you mentioned about uh, Kofel. I don't know if he's going to be good long-term, but in the immediate aftermath of Van Bommel, he has managed three wins out of three and not against poor sides in Leverkusen and Salzburg. And I'll tell you what, Last season, obviously, they had a big reliance on, on uh, Weghorst, but it, I think it's been really impressive to see uh, Lucas uh, in the matches, recent yeah. form, four goals in five games. Now it is now six goals uh, for the season. He uh, was played in both German games over the international break, so it's good to see that uh, Hansi Flick rates him, you know, and Hansi Flick credentials are, are available for everyone to see. So, yeah, Wolfsburg... Uh, um, uh, Shade of odds on on the sports book or around evens on the exchange. I think very similar to our, our Frankfurt bet. Not often, I don't think you're going to be able to get a team of this quality against a team of that quality at these odds. Yeah, I'd agree with that wholeheartedly. Now it's time for the world-famous podcast treble, a feature that Mark Zuckerberg may or may not like so much that he asked us to rename it as the Meta Treble. Just so the lawyers know, he didn't. He definitely (laughs) didn't do that. Uh, We uh, haven't touched on Liverpool Arsenal yet, but Stinch, I know you want to include that one. How this works, by the way, if you're listening for the first time, and where have you been, but welcome. Uh, What we do is the three guys, have a selection each then we wrap them up in a lovely boosted treble for you so Stinch Liverpool Arsenal what's your selection from that? So I'm going for Liverpool to win uh, they are 4-9 to nine, so if it goes into a boost hopefully around about 1-2 to two. I just think that Arteta's probably going to revert to type here and um, play defence first if, if you look at the two games last season which Liverpool won 3-0 and 3-1 Liverpool averaged 65% possession and the shot count Read 37 to Liverpool and just seven to Arsenal. <laughs> wow. And I think, unfortunately, I think, unfortunately, I say unfortunately, I think you could look at it both ways. Because of Arteta having success in these type of games, previously playing this back to the walls and, and on the counter attack, um, he won 2 1 against Liverpool um, towards the end of the title winning season. Although the both goals Liverpool gave away were defensive errors. But then I think more uh, key f- to them was the semi-final victory against Man City at Wembley, where again, they played this uh, defence first. I'm not saying it's the wrong approach at all. But in terms of sustainability, it's definitely not something that is going to breed uh, long-term success. So yeah, Liverpool, because I just think it's going to be one-way traffic. And Mark O'Hare, what do you have for us? Uh, I will take Tottenham to beat Leeds on Super Sunday, of which we'll talk about on Sunday's show. 
Uh, we will. By the way, there is a separate Sunday show in case you're going, why haven't they mentioned anything about Sunday? Calm down. There's another show that you'll be able to listen to. Uh, Jake, what do you have for us? Um, I'm going to stick with Chelsea to beat Leicester. I think that they're a, a good price. Everything I spoke about earlier, they're improving as the, as the season's gone on. They're hopefully getting Lukaku or Werner back. Leicester in a bit of trouble, defensively looking vulnerable uh, and also struggling in attack. They've actually ranked as the 11th worst, 11th best attacking team in the Premier League based on expected goals which is you know quite staggering when you consider the the sort of talent that they've got available to them so there you go nice and simple three wins all wrapped up that's all we have time for on this edition of football only better please do remember to gamble responsibly plenty of other shows to enjoy by the way on the betfair podcast network we've got nfl only better cricket only better a couple of racing shows for you as well that's all available at betfair.com and you can check us out on social at betfair or at betfair racing from stint from mark from jake and from me it's good Goodbye for now.